Hello, it's Thursday, December the 16th. This is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up... Christmas produces a lot of waste, so we're going to tell you how you can have a green Christmas. Also, the pension. Will the government bring forward plans to raise the retirement age when you get your pension to 68, bringing it forward seven years earlier, all part of saving money? The hospitality industry. It's on its knees, particularly in London, because of the huge surge in Omicron infections. And on that note, I'll be talking to a leading virologist who agrees with Professor Chris Whitty, the government's chief medical officer, about why we should limit social gatherings as much as we can to save our Christmas. So the Omicron variant has caused Britain to see a record number of infections, leading Professor Chris Whitty, the Chief Medical Officer, to say in the Downing Street press conference that a rise in hospitalisations is nailed on. He struck a different tone to the Prime Minister, who was less prescriptive, but warned the public should think carefully before attending Christmas gatherings. What do we make of it all? Lawrence Young joins me now. He's a virologist and professor of molecular oncology at Warwick Medical School. Professor Young, it seemed like almost it was good cop, bad cop. The chief medical officer being uh, effectively saying to people, only socialise if you really have to. The prime minister being a bit more, should we say, laid back, if that's the right expression to use. Yeah, really mixed messages, actually, Andrew, don't you think? And I, I do. And I, I can understand that, on the one hand, um, you know, Boris Johnson doesn't want to be the sort of bad cop over Christmas. But I do think, given the scary numbers we're seeing, and we'll see day upon day, then we have to ask ourselves whether the supercharged booster campaign is enough to keep Omricon uh, under some sort of control. How quickly will we know? Because it was said at that press conference that the there will be all sorts of records broken. We all, we've already seen the number of infections has reached a new record. So how will we be able to tell if the booster jab is keeping pace? Yeah, well, we've already got some data. So the early analysis from the UK data from last week, and it is very early analysis, demonstrates that the third booster jab probably prevents around 75% of people from getting any COVID symptoms whatsoever. And again, early data from South Africa confirms that. So the problem we're faced with is the lag between people getting infected, becoming seriously ill and recovering or dying. And that takes a number of weeks. And so we know that with this wave, and it's going to be a very sharp wave, it will take a couple of weeks before we start to see that translating into hospitalizations, etc. And indeed, what degree of impact the booster jab is having. Yeah, uh, we're already seeing, um, certainly in London, where which is one of the highest infection rates in the country, we're already seeing a lot of hospitality businesses uh, protesting, complaining that they've had Christmas parties cancelled, people are cancelling going to the theatre and the cinema. Are you, uh, Professor Young, relieved to hear that not i'm not not suggesting that you want them to have financial difficulties but are you relieved to hear that people are preferring perhaps to stay at home or stay more local yeah i am pleased that given the mixed messages that are coming out that that people are realizing that the only way to control this really serious wave of a very very infectious variant is to is to have a, a level of immunity in the population that's what boosters do, do but also the more immediate impact of human behavior this virus like all the previous variants spreads person to person in droplets and aerosols and you've got to reduce 
the contact between individuals. So I think anything we can do to do that and to reduce the size of gatherings and really to protect ourselves in the run-up to Christmas, if we want to enjoy Christmas with our family and friends and not uh, have to isolate or run the risk of infecting granny over Christmas dinner, then we all need to be careful over the next few days. And what advice are you giving to people? We've, we've heard now, it's been confirmed, I think, that the first person to die of, of the Omicron in hospital is a gentleman who was in his 70s who had not had any vaccinations. Uh, his stepson has given a radio interview saying he believed all the conspiracy theories. Um, do you read, can we read anything into one death? Not, not really, although we have seen, even with Delta, remember we're, we're, we're dealing with a continued wave of Delta with Omicron on top, but we have seen you know, a high number of individuals getting hospitalised who aren't vaccinated. And I think a lot of this, again, comes back to very clear messaging about the benefits of, of vaccination to yourself, to your family, friends, and, and, to, and indeed to, to, to the NHS. So I think that's a really important message that we need, we need to get out. And it's good to see people being more cautious. One of the big differences this time from a year ago, of course, is we have lateral flow tests. Um, my slogan at the moment is flow before you go. In other words, we've got something that allows you to test yourself in real time. Of course, it's not 100% perfect, but it will tell you whether you're infectious. And I think using that test is a good way of helping to control infection in the community, but also infection that you might spread to your friends and family. And what about you, Professor Young? Are you having a modest uh, uh, or a paired-back family Christmas this year? Have you, are you, have you changed your plans in any way because of Omicron? Yes, we have quite significantly, actually, because we had family coming over from the Philippines. Um, ah. And we were going to have a big family, but they're not coming now. And so right. I'm spending it with, with my, my son and my, my daughter-in-law uh, and the dog. And that's it, really. So we're going to have a quiet Christmas, actually, very, very quiet Christmas. And I think for all of us, it's, it's, it's a time to recognise that whilst this is not going to be a normal Christmas, it will be better than last year. But a lot of it now depends on how we all behave over the next uh, 10 days. All right, well, Professor Young, if I don't speak to you, enjoy Christmas with your family and, and the dog, of course, and thank you as ever for joining us. That's Lawrence Young, who's a virologist and professor of molecular oncology at Warwick Medical School. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free and in full, along with all our podcasts and our video series. And don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. Here we go again with more and more Christmas parties and events being cancelled. Hospitality industry is facing a pretty dire period. The impact of the government's guidance to work from home and think carefully about Christmas parties has had a pretty devastating impact on that industry. The hospitality sector makes anywhere between 25% and 30% or even more of its annual uh, turnover in December alone. Tim Foster is the owner of Yummy Pubs, no stranger to this podcast, but we've not spoken to him for a long time, and he joins me now. Tim, I dread to ask, how badly has the uh, moving into Plan B impacted your business? Uh, good to be back. Hi. Uh, under different circumstances again. Um, this time, um, we highlighted the issues in March 2020 that were happening in London for about two weeks before yeah. the rest of the country and shouting about it. So, London... Um, on Sunday, we were trading up as we have done for sort of the past three, four, five weeks. Um, good. and yeah. the numbers were looking good, uh, different, uh, messages coming out from government. And yesterday we lost 407 covers that we had <sighs> got booked in from the 19th of November, uh, down to five in total. Uh, we had a few customers walking in, which was great, but just completely decimated trade. So from a, a trend from the beginning of the week, we've been 
2-3% down Monday to 72% down yesterday. So oh, That's devastating. Uh, yeah, and, the- and it's exactly, it's following exactly the same pattern as March. So we were, you know, we were shouting this back then and obviously we didn't know what was coming. Mm. We know what's coming now, potentially. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's no excuses from what we've learned, even if it is a form of support that's just there in case it's needed. Yeah. Um, it's not about saving the businesses. Again, it goes back to the people and the people that work for us because there's nothing there for them to do No. Uh, if there are no customers. And there's no furlough money to pay them. Uh, I know there are still some forms of help still out there, Tim, that the cutting VAT is still there till the end of March, and I think there are various loans. But if it carries on like this, particularly as this is your busiest period, do you think the Chancellor's going to have to do something for your industry? Absolutely. I've lost, you know, just take that one site alone, I've lost £32,000 if we go Good this Lord. week on turnover. It'll be £100,000 by the same day, uh, same day next week. So this is our kind of key trading period these these two weeks um and the country was teed up to go out you know as mm, they supported us from the very beginning and everybody was ready they were coming out and then the messages started coming and the the guidance which i completely understand and we have to be encouraged to be careful of what's happening yeah. but at the same time why on earth they're not putting a package of support in place because they know what's coming this isn't march 2020 mm. this isn't having to stand up two days time and say oh my goodness you know just in case we've been through this we've lived through this so we know what's on its way. We also know if they do support us, we pay back. Now, our industry has been the driving growth for the economy ever since we were allowed to reopen. Every mm. single month, we've dominated. Um, we said we would. You know, We said we would bounce the country back. And even with the supply issues we've had, the staffing problems we've had, we've still delivered on that promise. Mm. So we just need him to step up. Apparently, there's some calls going on this afternoon where uh, yeah. he's speaking to our trade industry, hopefully. Um, and uh, they can get across the message that, you know, this is this is real. And I'm not feeling it in the countryside. No, no let's make this clear. I have a number of sites in the wire Good. mill that Good. I came to you from before. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not feeling it there. You know, it's hardly as if it's even happening. So there's a balance in my business that's working at the minute that I can use one to fund the other, which I've had to do for the Central mm. London site because London has been decimated for the last year or so, and we were just getting back on our feet. Yeah. Um, so this isn't this isn't happening absolutely everywhere, and I made that really really clear. There sure. are lots of people, publicans making noise now in different parts of the country, saying, "Hey, you know things aren't looking great." But we know that this happened from London first, and then it fed out into the rest of the country, yeah, absolutely, etc. So it's it's a it's an early warning signal that we can flag to the government to say, "Hey guys, something's going on." You know, you keep on telling people that we're we're not closed and we've had support. Well. The support's dried up in terms of where our people stand, so we need help for them. And what about Christmas Day itself, Tim? I don't know if your businesses do roaring trade we with closed, Christmas we lunches. You we, did you? Yeah, no, we made the decision back in April for the, our teams, everything that they've been through, um, to basically spend it with family. So we decided to close Christmas Day and Boxing Day for the first right. time in our yeah. 14 years um, because the guys have just been working so hard um, yeah. and just been incredible. So we said to everybody, we wanted to spend it with family in you know reflection thank god for that but yeah. um you know the, the people that have currently got those doors open they must be looking and wondering is it the right thing to do and again we're just living hand day by day hand to mouth well tim i'm sorry it's bleak um, i'm glad it's not bleak universally and we'll keep in touch with you um but i mean i do hear um that the of course the chances are broad at the moment he's in california um looking at yep. tech industries or something i think he's probably in the wrong place isn't he uh, yeah um, well yeah we've got tech we can, you can zoom in connie it's more important that uh, i think so decision made
I think so. I think so. Well, he's hands on. So let's hope something positive happens to you. Tim, um, I know it's probably uh, it probably doesn't sound the right thing to say, but I, I hope you have the best Christmas that you can under the circumstances. Andrew, great to talk to you again, Andrew. All right, Tim. Bye bye. Now, that's Tim Foster, owner of the Yummy Pubs. And I've been to one of them. They are terrific. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. Well, do you remember those halcyon days when women retired at 60 and men retired at 65? Well, we might soon all have to work until we are 68. A new proposal suggests the state pension age should be raised to 68 in just five years' time, which will affect those born in the 1970s and beyond. Caroline Abrahams is the charity director for Age UK, and she joins me now. Um, Caroline, what do you make of this proposal? Well, what this is about is that every few years the government carries out a review of the state pension age. That's the age at which you and I are able to get our state pension for the first time. Um, and at the mo- as you say, in the past, it was much lower and it's been gradually going up. And that's because um, we are living longer, which is terrific. Uh, but it's also because the Treasury always wants to try and claw some money back off us. So this is the first salvo in, in the battle that will ensue next year, I think, about this review and what the government is, wants to do and what we're going to all let them do. Yeah. So uh, this is just a proposal. This is a review led by the Tory peer Baroness Neville Rolfe. And it's it's examining whether the benefits should be based on life expectancy, including differences across countries and regions. Does that mean then, if I understand this rightly, Caroline, that people in, should we say, more deprived areas, I'm using my words very carefully here, may get their state pensions earlier than those in affluent ones? Well, it might do, but but this is always discussed every time there's one of these reviews. And so far, governments have decided not to do that because it makes it very complicated. And it could also mean that, you know, on one side of the road, somebody could be getting their pension at one age. And then just across the road, they're getting it at another. So that wouldn't necessarily feel very fair either. But of course, what this is about is that, you know, we're we're a very diverse population. There's 12 million over 65s in this country. And and some of us are very fit and and hale and hearty and and active right into our 70s and 80s. And other people aren't. And they're particularly less likely to be as as fit and well if if they've been living on a low income all their lives. And there are more people like that in some parts of the country than others. So that's what this is getting at. And it's a, it's a very fair point. Yeah. But whether that means that they're actually really going to do something about it uh, and in a way that doesn't disadvantage all of us, I think, is the big question. Yeah, I'd lay money they don't. Just so we can be clear as well. <laughs> so the, the age at which someone can start claiming their state pension is will gradually rise from 66 to 67 between 2026 and 2028. Now, it's due to yeah. go up to 68 between 2044 and 2047. This review by Baroness Neville Rolfe is now suggesting bringing forward the increase to uh, 68 to 2037 and 2039. Yeah, so that, that, that could particularly hit people in, in, who were born in the 1970s, people yeah. who are sort of, who, for whom retirement is not very near at the moment, 
But, you know, it, pensions are funny things. When you're younger, they seem the most boring thing in the world. But yes, once, you get to, once, once you get to the point at which that's your income, they matter more than anything else. And always remember George Osborne, the former chancellor, saying that when he raised the state pension age, he, got, he made the biggest improvement to the public finances without any fuss that he'd ever managed. And, and that's because, you know, lots of people in that, in that age group, say in their 50s, have got many things to worry about, uh, not necessarily with their pension at the top of the list. So uh, it's very important we keep a firm eye on, on this mm. review and, and stand up for older people and for people who will be older people in a few years' time yeah. and, and don't let the, the government pull a fast one. It has to be fairness, I think, between I the think public so. on the one hand and the government on the other. And just finally, uh, Caroline, I think the, the pe pension's currently worth just over £9,350 a year to retirees. This is all about hiking the retirement age sooner. It is all about saving money, isn't it? Oh, yes, absolutely, no doubt at all. And, of course, that, you know, 9,300, firstly, isn't very much. No. That's the only income you've got in all this. Yeah. That's, that's making that stretch to cover everything, particularly at the moment with inflation, is really hard. Mm. Uh, and some people don't even get as much as that. If you haven't got a full contribution record, if you're an older pensioner, then you won't necessarily get anything like as much as that. So... Yeah, we're fighting over a small amount of money, but it's absolutely crucial. And even though lots of people now have private pensions, by no means everybody does. Lots of women don't have private pensions yet. Um, hopefully everyone will in, in years to come. But, mm. you know, they're really, really dependent on the state pension. And, and most of the public overall, most pensioners, for them, it is that sum of money. The state pension forms the bulk of their pension income. So that's how important this is. It really can make a world of difference um, to you in, in your later life. Absolutely. That's Caroline Abraham. She's the charity director for Age UK. Time for our regular city update now with Ruth Sunderland, who's the business editor at the Daily Mail. Uh, Ruth, those inflation figures, I'm old enough to remember when inflation was over 20%. This is the, but this is the worst inflation figure for a decade. It is. It's it's really high inflation, and um, to to the surprise of some people, actually, we've the the governor of the Bank of England has actually taken action this morning. Perhaps he read my column in the yeah, paper sure today, um, and took it all on board. Um, so he's increased interest rates. Now they're still at pre-pandemic levels. They're not point two five percent, which by any measure is is pretty small. Um, so, um, you know, but even so, it's a signal of intent um, that, that he is taking inflation very, very seriously and is not or, you know, has no intention of allowing it to run rampant and plunges back to the bad old days of the 1970s. Which is reassuring. Uh, how do, do, do the markets react to that, Ruth? Because, look, that's going to put um, it, it's going to put people's mortgage rates up next year. Uh, it's going to add to the cost of the debt burden, which we know is eye-wateringly high already. Mm. Well, to put this in context, um, people, so the vast majority of people, around 70% of people, um, have fixed-rate mortgages, so they are not going to see an immediate hit right. from it. Um, we also have to bear in mind that interest rates are still below their pre-pandemic levels um, because the Governor of the Bank of England actually reduced interest rates when the pandemic first started. So um, people need to calm down a little bit. So 74% of us who've got mortgages are on a fixed rate product. So that's not actually going to hit them. Right. Um, and interest rates are still at historic lows. Now, there is a school of thought um, 
that you know any increase in interest rates is 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 just terrible and it's going to um you know it's going to hurt people's confidence and so on now you know there's no good time ever to put up interest rates nobody ever wants to do it but the point is i am hoping that by taking a timely action now that's quite limited quite small that we might be able to avoid having to take really painful action to fight inflation a bit down the line you know and if that works then that would be worth it indeed that's Ruth Sunderland who's business editor at the Daily Mail do read her column today because it was most prescient as ever Christmas is almost upon us but it's a pretty wasteful time of the year do you know we create an additional three million tons of waste over the festive period including enough wrapping paper to circle the globe 10 times that's right 10 times so can we have an eco-friendly christmas well here with some tips on how to make your christmas a little greener is leanne manchester who's digital marketing manager for the wildlife trust leanne that figure about wrapping paper is pretty staggering we've got to buy wrapping paper that's been recycled shouldn't we or is there an even better way hi yes it is a really stark statistic isn't it and, yeah. and a lot of people don't don't realise actually that wrapping paper can be covered in plastic. It's it's easy to think in the name that it's recyclable automatically, but it actually isn't. Um, so the the shiny wrapping paper that you find or glittery wrapping paper isn't recyclable and is covered in plastic. So as you say, a really really great place, an easy place to start is to say. Uh, wrapping paper that is recyclable so anything that holds its shape when you scrunch it up into a ball that doesn't have glitter on it or if you're if you're looking for a bit of a vintage look you can actually wrap your presents up in in brown paper with a bit of twine um, and they can look they can look just as special but you're also doing your bit for the planet as well and making your Christmas a little bit greener. That's interesting, isn't it? And you can also, I know that we've talked on this podcast before, Leanne, about renting a Christmas tree. Of course, we all know you can buy recycled Christmas cards. Now, when I was a child, my parents, we used to make our own Christmas decorations with crepe paper. Um, I don't know if crepe paper is bad or good for the environment, but it was the same paper came out of the loft every year. Yes, exactly. And you know what? It's so much fun making your own Christmas decorations. I think sometimes there might be a bit of a misconception that trying to do things in, in a bit more of a sustainable way means it's not as, as fun or Christmas isn't as fun. But actually, it's, it's really great fun making your own Christmas decorations. You can do things like drying fruit out as well um, and, and hanging those on the, on the tree or, like you say, using paper to make your own, make your own decorations. Is, and if there was, uh, what I mean, if we were all trying to buy an eco-friendly gift for perhaps family or friends or, or the, the person, in our, our partner, what sort of ideas would you give people? So there's lots of um, great, great ideas out there. There's things like zero waste kits. Um, so you can buy things like um, bamboo cutlery for, for people to use if they're out and about. You can buy reusable water bottles. Um, or you can um, give a gift to help other people or wildlife. So, for example, at the Wildlife Trust, you can sponsor an animal um, for on somebody's behalf. That's or, a nice idea. Uh, yes. What sort really of, what, great... So, what, what sort of animals would, would would if I was to buy sponsor an animal from you from from the Wildlife Trust earlier? And what <laughs> sort of animal could we be sponsoring? Well, it depends, really. There's a whole range. So, things like hedgehogs dormice, uh. red squirrels, so lots of different options options there. Um, and what I always advise as well is to ask people what it is that they want because a lot of the time um, 
you know, you can focus on sort of quantity over quality and buying lots of gifts. And actually, the best thing is just to buy somebody one thing that they really, they really would value and they would use all year round. That's a good, good advice. Now, if you so if Father Christmas was bringing you one gift that you want, Leanne, that you could use all year round, and let's hope whoever's buying that present for you is not listening, what would it be? <laughs> what would it be? Well, actually, the one thing that I have requested this year is a sewing machine because I would oh. really like to be able to um, fix up my own clothes and repair things a, a lot easier. And are you, do you know how to use... Uh, were you taught at school or would you be able to teach yourself or, or would, is it... Is it like riding a bike? Well, I have to be honest that I was definitely not the best with a sewing machine at school, but I'm hoping that age is on my side now and uh, having a proliferation of videos on, on the internet will, will oh, help me. Oh, how clever. <laughs> and, you're gonna ma- and then you'll make your own clothes? Or at least fix my clothes, yeah. Um, so, so things like that are great because it means that then I'll hopefully be, um, you know, be buying less and using less in the future um, and also have a bit of fun and be able to make things myself. Sounds great. Sounds great. And great, mm-hmm. great, great if you've got a fancy dress party coming up. Oh, absolutely. Who doesn't love fancy dress? Exactly. That's Leanne Manchester. She's Digital Marketing Manager for the Wildlife Trust. And if you go on their website, you can see a range of lovely animals that you can sponsor, which is always a, a very, very good cause. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pearce. This is The Andrew Pearce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night.